Controlling one's tongue, caring for the helpless, and constraining oneself from worldliness are three examples of the external, observable qualities of a life of faith, according to James 1, 26-27. In chapters 2 and 3 of his epistle, James explored the issues of caring for the helpless and controlling one's tongue. Now, in chapter 4, he dives into the issue of constraining oneself from worldliness by showing the risks of worldliness. Specifically, James 1.27 commands believers to keep oneself unstained by the world. In the Greek, the verb to keep, tereo, is enjoined to the preposition by, apa, meaning to keep in safety, preserve, or conserve someone from something. That something is being unstained by the world. The term unstained, aspalas, means to be unsoiled. It describes someone as being free of moral defects. And what we are to keep ourselves from is the world. What is the world? The world, cosmos, refers to that system under Satan's control. Ephesians 2.2 In which you formerly walked according to the course of this world, according to the prince in the power of the air, of the spirit that is now working in the sons of disobedience. What Paul refers to as the course of this world, or worldliness, is a system of ungodliness that opposes God. Worldliness loves the system of ungodliness and things associated with it. The Apostle John in 1 John 2, 15-16 warns, Do not love the world, nor the things in the world. If anyone loves the world, the love of the Father is not in him. For all that is in the world, the lust of the flesh, the lust of the eyes, and the boastful pride of life is not from the Father, but is from the world. My friends, we are not to sacrifice ourselves for those things that are part of that satanic system of opposition to God. Such a system includes any and all philosophies or ideologies that are opposed to God or reject the truth of His Word. Furthermore, my friends, all that is in the world includes such things as the lust of the flesh, the lust of the eyes, and the boastful pride of life. The lust of the flesh is a rebellious craving for evil things. The lust of the eyes refers to the unregenerate, covetous desire for wicked things. And the boastful pride of life is anything that leads someone to arrogantly elevate themselves above God in pursuit of their selfish desires. The necessity of constraining oneself against worldliness is rooted in the command of Leviticus 11.44. Consecrate yourselves, therefore, and be holy, for I am holy. That term consecrate, karas, means to set yourself apart by means of religious rites or rules. God commanded his people to set themselves apart from the ungodly cultures around them by following his law. That Peter repeats this command in 1 Peter 1, 15 to 16 implies that God's injunction for his people has not changed. But like the Holy One who called you, be holy yourselves also in all your behavior, because it is written, you shall be holy, for I am holy. And so as James delves into the issue of worldliness, he sets forth a twofold risk. First, worldliness creates conflict with others. And second, worldliness creates enmity with God. So let's begin with the, the first risk of worldliness. It creates conflicts with others. Chapter 4, verses 1 to 3. What is the source of quarrels and conflicts among you? 
Is not the source your pleasures that wage war in your members? You lust and do not have, so you commit murder. You are envious and cannot obtain, so you fight and quarrel. You do not have because you do not ask. You ask and do not receive because you ask with wrong motives so that you may spend it on your pleasures. Again, the first risk of worldliness is that it creates conflict with others. As is his practice, James presents a query. What is the source of quarrels and conflicts among you? Now, quarrels, polemos, refers to any strife or contention. Conflicts, make, usually refers to physical violence. However, the three other usages of this term in the New Testament imply verbal arguments or disputes. 2 Corinthians 7, 5, For even when we came into Macedonia, our flesh had no rest, but we were afflicted on every side. Conflicts, mache, without fears within. 2 Timothy 2.23, Refuse foolish and ignorant speculations, knowing they produce quarrels. Mache. 2 Timothy 2.23. Titus 3.9, But avoid foolish controversies and genealogies and strifes and disputes. Mache. About the law, for they are unprofitable and worthless. No doubt these conflicts involved harsh words, lies, and slander. All misuses of the tongue that James rebuked in James chapter 3. As well, that quarrels and conflicts are in the plural indicates that they were ongoing problems in the early church. Nothing new there. The source of these quarrels and conflicts amongst believers is your pleasures that wage war in your members. Now, the term pleasures translates the Greek term hedone, from which the English term hedonism is derived. According to the Oxford Dictionary of the Christian Church, hedonism propagates the idea that the proper end of all moral action is pleasure. In other words, if it feels good, do it. In the New Testament, pleasures always refers to the gratification of sinful, illicit, lustful desires. Luke 8, 14. The seed which fell among the thorns, these are the ones who have heard, and as they go on their way, they are choked with the worries, riches, and pleasures, hedonism of this life, and bring no fruit to maturity. Titus 3, 3, For we were once our foolish ourselves, disobedient, deceived, enslaved to various lusts and pleasures, hedonism, spending our life in malice, envy, hateful, hating one another. 2 Peter 2, 13, They counted as pleasure or hedonism to revel in the daytime. Now, the Jewish philosophical work of uh, 4th Maccabees, written between 100 BC and AD 30, likely informed the New Testament understanding of pleasures or hedonism. It states In pleasure, there exists even a malevolent tendency, which is the most complex of all the emotions. In the soul, it is boastful, covetousness, thirst for honor, rivalry, and malice. In the body, indiscriminate eating, gluttony, and solitary gourmandizing. Such hedonistic or worldly desires wage war in your members. Peter warned us in 1 Peter 2.11 to abstain from fleshly lust, which wage war against the soul. In the context of James 4.1, the term members, melas, refers to believers within a local church. Romans 12.5. So we who are many are one body in Christ and individually members of one another. 
Ephesians 4.25, Therefore, laying aside falsehood, speak truth each one of you with his neighbor, for we are members one of another. The verb wage war, stratuo, is to engage in quarrels and conflicts. Hence, James' point is that worldliness is the source of conflicts and quarrels amongst believers and within the church. In verse 2, anticipating objections that his readers were engaged in worldliness, and in case you think, well, that wouldn't be me, James says they lust, commit murder, and are envious, fight, and quarrel. Four worldly behaviors are given here, but are actually set forth as a three-cause structure which forms the 16th triad of this epistle. The threefold structure describing worldliness breaks down as follows. You lust for something, but do not get it. You murder and covet, but cannot have what you want. You quarrel and fight. You see, worldliness always promises pleasure, but fails to disclose the feelings of emptiness and frustration that are left behind long after the pleasure has passed. Just to recap the triad so far in the epistle of James. Chapter 1 and verse 2, we had three steps to deal with trials. Consider it pure joy when facing trials. Know that the test of faith produces endurance and allow endurance to have its perfect result. In chapter 1, verse 3 to 4, we had three results of trials. It purifies our faith, produces patience, and produces maturity. In chapter 1 and verse 4, we had three results of endurance. Be perfect, be complete, be lacking nothing. In chapter 1, verse 14 to 15, we had three metaphors about temptations. We had a fishing metaphor, a birth metaphor, a death metaphor. In chapter 1 and verse 19, we had three requirements for accepting the Scripture. Be quick to hear, be slow to speak, be slow to anger. In chapter 1, verse 25 to 26, we had three examples of true religion. It controls the tongue, it cares for the helpless, it consecrates from worldliness. In chapter 2 and verse 5, we had three reasons not to judge the helpless. They're chosen by God, they're rich in faith, they're heirs of the kingdom. In chapter 2, verse 6 and 7, we had three facts about the rich. They oppress the helpless, take advantage of the helpless, and blaspheme the name of Jesus. In chapter 2, verse 21 to 26, we had three illustrations of dynamic faith. Abraham's work, Rahab's work, and a spiritless body. In chapter 3, verses 3 to 5, we had three examples of the tongue's domineering nature. A bit in a horse's mouth, a rudder on a ship, a spark behind a forest fire. In chapter 3 and verse 6, we had three reasons why the tongue is evil. Because it defiles the whole body, sets on fire the course of life, and is set on fire by hell. In chapter 3 and verse 8, we were given three reasons the tongue is untamable. It's restless, it's evil, it's full of poison. In chapter 3, verse 10 to 11, we have three illustrations of the tongue's deceptiveness. It's a fountain spewing fresh and bitter water. It's a fig tree producing olives and it's a grapevine producing figs. In chapter 3 and verse 15, we had three descriptions of hellish wisdom. It's earthly, natural, and demonic. In chapter 3 and verse 17, we saw three groups of virtues describing heavenly wisdom. It's peaceable, gentle, reasonable. It's full of mercy and full of good fruits. And it's unwavering and without hypocrisy. And now we're given a threefold description of worldliness. It lusts but does not get. It murders and covets but does not get. And it quarrels and fights. You see, my friends, the first description of worldliness in believers is that they lust. The verb lust, epithomio, refers to evil, intense desires for something. 
Nonetheless, they do not have that for which they lust. You see, worldliness exhibits itself in evil, intense desires. The second description of worldliness in believers is that they commit murder and are envious. Now, James' use of commit murder is in the figurative sense as used by Jesus in Matthew 5, 21 to 22. You have heard that the ancients were told, you shall not commit murder, and whoever commits murder shall be liable to the court. But I say to you that everyone who is angry with his brother shall be guilty before the court. Whoever says to his brother, you good for nothing, shall be guilty before the Supreme Court. And whoever says you fool shall be guilty enough to go into the fiery hell. Now Matthew 5, 21-22 is part of Jesus' Sermon on the Mount. In that context, Jesus is contrasting the with what the Pharisees taught about God's law versus how God intended his law to be applied, specifically the sixth commandment. The Pharisees defined murder as unjustly taking someone's life. Jesus, however, extended its application beyond the act itself. The command against murder not only includes the act, but the attitude motivating the action. Thus, not only is murder wrong, but the anger, hatred, or racism motivating the murder is also wrong. According to Jesus, anyone who is unjustly angry with someone is guilty of violating the command not to murder. Have you ever been unjustly angry with someone? Also, Anyone who places themselves in a position of superiority or supremacy over another and refers to someone in a derogatory manner is guilty of violating the sixth command. Have you ever done that? Have you ever placed yourself in a position of superiority? Have you ever looked down at someone? Have you ever been derogatory or referred to them in a derogatory manner? You're guilty of violating the sixth commandment. You see, Jesus says, that any violation of the sixth command, whether by work or word, is sufficient to cast someone into the lake of fire. Again, it's not just our works that condemn us, but our words as well. James' point then is that worldliness exhibits itself in anger, hatred, and racism. The verb are envious, zelao, get to hear the word zealous there, depending upon the context, has a positive or negative aspect. Positively, zaleo means to be interested in, show affection for, or be moved to love something. 2 Corinthians 11, 2, For I am jealous for you with a godly jealousy. Negatively, zaleo refers to coveting something belonging to another person or having feelings of jealousy over someone else's successes. It was such envy that the chief priest deliver Jesus to Pilate in Mark 15 verse 10 for he was aware that the chief priest had handed him over because of envy here James is using the negative aspect of the verb these believers were either coveting what they did not have or were jealous of others achievements perhaps some of them desired to be teachers and were jealous of those who were teachers if it was a case of coveting what someone else had, then they're violating the commandment against coveting. Exodus 20, verse 17. You shall not covet your neighbor's house, you shall not covet your neighbor's wife, nor his male servant, nor his female servant, nor his ox, nor his donkey, nor anything that belongs to your neighbor. 
For all their coveting and jealousy, James says, they cannot obtain the things they desire. Worldliness exhibits itself in coveting and jealousy. And third, those engaged in worldliness fight and quarrel. The verb fight, makomai, is the verbal form of the noun conflict, mache, in verse 1. The verb quarrel, polemio, is the verbal form of the noun quarrel, polemos, in verse 1. Hence, worldliness exhibits itself in verbal arguments and strifes with others. And James revealed that believers were engaged in worldliness in verse 1, as demonstrated by their quarrels and conflicts. Nonetheless, in verse 2, quarrels and conflicts are the final downward progression of worldliness. Before devolving into quarrels and conflicts, believers first lusted. Then they were unjustly angry with others. They hated others, were prejudiced, coveting, and jealous of others' excesses. My friends, when you find yourself engaged in quarrels and conflicts, be sure you have dabbled in worldliness and the signs have been there. You must beware of lust, of anger, of hatred, of prejudice, of, of coveting, of jealousy, of conflict, and of quarrels. If any or all of these emotions or behaviors are present in your life, you must confess them before God and forsake them before it is too late. See, my friends, at the heart of these worldly behaviors is a failure to satisfy your desires. James provides two reasons for this failure. He says the first reason you fail to satisfy your desires is that you do not have because you do not ask. The verb have and ask are in the present tense, implying a continual failure to ask for something. In other words, these believers desired something, but they continually failed to pray and ask God. See, my friends, when you do not pray, it reveals that your focus is not on God, but on your worldly pleasures. Is that you? Are you praying? You say, oh, I, I need this, I want this, I have a desire for something. Are you praying about it? And if the reason you're not praying about it is it because you're focused on your worldly pleasures. Have you ever noticed that when you pray you discover after a period of time that you're no longer praying but thinking about something else. You see, what happens there is in prayer, when your mind wanders to something else, it's revealing what you truly desire or what you're truly interested in. And it obviously isn't God. Jesus previously dealt with this very issue in the Sermon on the Mount. Ask and it will be given you. Seek and you will find. Knock and it will be opened to you. Matthew 7, 7. Jesus clarified his statement by explaining that God responds to the request of his children. He went on to say in Matthew 7, 11 that if sinful human fathers can provide good things to their children, how much more will your Father who is in heaven give what is good to those who ask him? James states the second reason why we fail to satisfy our desires is that you ask with wrong motives. Wrong motives, kakos, is an adverb or manner, of, of manner rather, implying how they ask or pray to God. They ask God for their desires in an evil manner. 
Now, how does a believer pray evilly? First, they do not ask in faith. James 1.6 To pray in faith is to have confidence in God despite the situation or circumstance that He will answer. Second, they do not pray without any doubting. James 1.6 The verb doubting, diacrino, denotes uncertainty or dispute. It's questioning whether God can do what He's promised. And the third reason believers fail to satisfy their desires is that they do not pray according to God's will. 1 John 5, 14-15 This is the confidence which we have before Him, that if we ask anything according to His will, He hears us. And if we know that He hears us in whatever we ask, we know that we have the request which we have asked from Him. Now back in the Sermon on the Mount, Matthew six ten, Jesus taught that prayer is about accomplishing God's will. Your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Prayer is not a lamp to rub, and God is not your genie. In the case of James' original readers, their prayers were not answered because they did not pray according to God's will. They prayed to God to give them their desires to spend it on their pleasures. Pleasures, again, hedone, refers to that gratifying of sinful, illicit, lustful desires. The verb spend, apaneo, means to waste. Hence, they pray to God for something to waste on something sinful or illicit. My friend, such a request is not asked according to God's will. And it's interesting that the verb spend, apaneo, describes the prodigal son in Luke 15, 14. Now, when he had spent everything, he began to be impoverished. You see, the prodigal son wasted his inheritance on sinful and illicit things. And rest assured, my friends, that sinful and illicit behaviors will always leave you impoverished or spiritually destitute. Now, not only does worldliness create conflict with others, but it also creates hostility with God. Here's our second risk of worldliness. Verses 4 to 6. James chapter 4, verses 4 to 6. You adulteresses, do you not know that friendship with the world is hostility towards God? Therefore, whoever wishes to be a friend of the world makes himself an enemy of God. Or do you think that the scripture speaks to no purpose? He jealously desires the spirit which he has made to dwell in us, but he gives greater grace. Therefore it says, God is opposed to the proud, but gives grace to the humble. The second risk of worldliness is that it creates hostility with God. James underscores this enmity or hostility with God by invoking an Old Testament type, adulteresses. The term adulterer or adulteress immediately invokes the idea of someone who is unfaithful to their spouse. Now, up until this point, James has addressed his readers as my brethren. However, the risk of worldliness is so great that James draws upon the strongest enunciation, adulteresses. Unlike far too many modern preachers, James was more concerned with dealing with sin than being canceled. It's evident through this epistle that James loved his readers. He loved them enough to boldly confront their sin. 
A word of caution. Before blasting one another, believers, you and I would do well to examine our motives. Every one of us ought to be checking our motives. Be sure that what we are saying is not just to appease our flesh, but is instead motivated out of love and a desire to please God. Now in the Old Testament, Israel is typified as the wife of Yahweh. Isaiah 54 verse 6. For the Lord has called Israel like a wife forsaken, grieved in spirit, even like a wife of one's youth when she is rejected, says your God. However, she forsook God and worshipped other gods. And God viewed her worship of other gods as spiritual adultery. Jeremiah 3, 1-5. God says, if a husband divorces his wife and she goes from him and belongs to another man, will he still return to her? But you are a harlot with many lovers, yet you turn to me, declares the Lord, with your harlotry and with your wickedness. As such, God divorced Israel because of her adultery or unfaithfulness in worshiping other gods. Jeremiah chapter 3, verse 8. And I saw that for all the adulteries of faithless Israel, I sent her away and give her, given her a writ of divorce. Praise God, in a future time, Israel will repent, and God will retake the nation as his wife. Isaiah 54, verse 7 to 8. For a brief moment I forsook you, but with great compassion I will gather you. In an outburst of anger I hid my face from you for a moment, but with everlasting loving kindness I will have compassion on you, says the Lord your Redeemer. Hosea chapter 2, verse 7 and 16. She will pursue her lovers, but she will not overtake them. She will seek them, but will not find them. Then she will say, I will go back to my first husband, for it was better for me than then than now. It will come about in that day, declares the Lord, that you will call me Ishi, i.e. my husband, and will no longer call me Bali, i.e. my master. Like Israel, the church is also a bride, the bride of Christ. 2 Corinthians 11 verse 2, I am jealous for you with a godly jealousy, for I betrothed you to one husband, so that to Christ I may present you as a pure virgin. Revelation 19, verse 7, Let us rejoice and be glad and give glory to him, for the marriage of the Lamb has come, and his bride, i.e. the church, has made herself ready. So when James invokes the term adulteresses, he's referring to believers, members of the body of Christ, who are unfaithful to Christ. Such believers are committing adultery or cheating on Christ with worldliness. Is that you? When you embrace worldliness, you're sinning against Christ's love that brought you out of the marketplace of sin. Again, James asks a rhetorical question. Do you know that friendship with the world is hostility towards God? The verb know, oida, means to be aware of something. James' readers were acutely aware that friendship with the world is hostility towards God. Friendship, philia refers to love or affection for something or someone. It is, a sh it is sharing in a spiritual and physical unity with another individual. And the object of that affection here is the world, that satanic system that is rebelling against God. Loving that satanic system of rebellion is hostility towards God. The verb hostility, ekthra, refers to hatred or enmity and, and means to be an enemy of God. 
In other words, if you wish to be a friend of the world, you're making yourself an enemy of God. James is alluding here to James or to Jesus' statement in Matthew 6:24. No one can serve two masters, for either he will hate the one and love the other, or he'll be devoted to one and despise the other. You cannot serve God and wealth. My friends, dabbling with worldliness makes you enemies, not friends with God. An enemy, ekthros, is one who is hated or rejected. Before salvation, you were enemies of God, but now you're beloved of God. Romans 5.10 For if while we were enemies we were reconciled to God through the death of His Son, much more having been reconciled, we shall be saved by His life. But my friends, when you flirt with worldliness, you are behaving as the unregenerate. James asks another question in verse 5. Do you think that the scripture speaks to no purpose? That verb, do you think, tokeo, means do you have an opinion? The phrase to no purpose, kenos, refers to something that's empty, idle, or vain. And the scriptures, graphe, refers specifically to the Old Testament canon. In other words, he wants to know if you were of the opinion that the Old Testament is worthless. Because when you flirt or even fornicate with worldliness... You are saying, in essence, that the Old Testament is worthless and has no purpose. James doubles down on the importance of the Old Testament with a quote. He jealously desires the spirit which he has made to dwell in us. Now, that quote is not a specific passage from the Old Testament. Instead, it's a summary of several Old Testament passages dealing with the jealousy of God for his wife, Israel. Exodus chapter 20, verse 5, You should not worship or serve them, for I, the Lord your God, am a jealous God. Exodus 34, verse 14, For you shall not worship any other God, for the Lord whose name is Jealous is a jealous God. Zechariah 8, verse 2, Thus says the Lord of hosts, I am exceedingly jealous for Zion. Yes, with great wrath, I am jealous for her. Now the verb desires in that quote, epipotheo, means to long for or desire strongly. Grammatically, the subject of the verb is God. Hence, God longs for something. The term jealousy, phthonos, typically has a negative nuance in biblical Greek. However, since jealousy is connected to the verb desires, which is God's action, divine jealousy is in view. The idea is that God is unwilling to share his people's affections with the world. The spirit, pneuma, Again, in, in, the, in the quote, he jealously desires the spirit which he has made to dwell in us, is not a reference to the Holy Spirit, but to the spirit of every person. It's the immaterial part of human beings that sets them apart from other creatures. When God created humanity, he infused, us, uh, he infused into us a spirit, making men and women spiritual creatures. When humanity fell into sin, the human spirit became defiled and sinful. However, at redemption, God regenerates and renews the spirit within the believer. The regenerated spirit belongs to God, and as such, he is unwilling to share the affections of those redeemed spirits. Because God is jealous of his people's affections, we must not harbor feelings or desires of worldliness. And because we are tempted to worldliness, and because God is a jealous God, James says he gives a greater grace. 
That is, my friends, we can overcome these temptations to worldliness with God's grace. His grace is greater, megas. It's more powerful than any temptation or sin. As Paul declared in Romans 5.20, where sin increased, grace abounded all the more. James quotes Proverbs 3.34, God is opposed to the proud, but gives grace to the humble. Literally in Hebrew, the phrase can be rendered, God mocks proud mockers, but gives grace to the humble. This verse is also quoted by Peter, demonstrated its wide usage in the early church. The verb oppose, anatasso, is a military term, meaning to arrange an army in battle order. It conveys the sense that God is at war with pride. To the humble, God gives grace. This grace, this charis, is not only the loving favor that he bestows on sinners, but it is his enabling strength for daily living. Hebrews 4.16 Let us draw near with confidence to the throne of grace, so that we may receive mercy and find grace to help in time of need. Believers, when worldliness comes calling, God provides his mercy and grace to help us escape from the temptation. 1 Corinthians 10.13 No temptation has overtaken you, but such is the common to man. But God is faithful, who will not allow you to be tempted beyond what you are able, but with the temptation will provide the way of escape also, so that you will be able to endure it. Oh, my friends, worldliness is risky. It creates conflicts with others. Worldliness will convince you to pursue your hedonistic pleasures. In turn, you will lust, hate, envy, fight, and quarrel. Worldliness promises pleasure, but it always ends in emptiness and destroyed relationships. My friends, you must forsake such worldly behaviors because they will create conflict with others and rob you and I of the unity we share as part of the body of Christ. Let us heed Paul's admonition in Ephesians 4 verse 3. Be diligent to preserve the unity of the Spirit in the bond of peace. Worldliness is also risky because it creates hostility with God. Believer, we were once enemies of God, but he's now adopted us as his children. As well, he has appointed us to be a type of bride for his son, Jesus Christ. And when you or I dabble with worldliness, we are not merely behaving badly, we are acting like our old regenerative, our old unregenerate selves and making ourselves again God's enemies. Furthermore, we are committing spiritual adultery and cheating on the very one who loved us and gave his life to redeem us out of the marketplace of sin. Let us heed the words of 1 John 2.15. Do not love the world nor the things in the world. Now, my friend, the Bible does not condemn pleasures. But let us beware what pleasures we seek. The first pleasure that every one of us ought to be craving for is the presence of God and his mercy. Psalm 1611, you will make known to me the path of life. In your presence is fullness of joy. In your right hand are pleasures forever. Psalm 36, verse 7, how precious is your loving kindness, O God. As well, when we delight in the Lord, he will give us the desires of our heart. Psalm 37, verse 4, delight yourself in the Lord. He'll give you the desires of your heart. When you're delighting yourself in the Lord, your desires will be in line with His will. Let's pray. Father God, I thank You for the opportunity to open the, Your Word. 
And Father, as we consider the risk of worldliness, the risk is high. Not only because it creates conflict with others, which destroys the unity of the Spirit, but because it makes us your enemy. It creates hostility between us and you. And so, Father, now we come before you and we repent of worldliness. We look forward to forsaking worldliness. We ask that your grace might be sufficient. That we might do just that. Not just repent of it, but forsake it. Father, if there's anyone listening, looking at their life, they've seen some lust, some hatred, some envy, even jealousy. Even maybe, Father, all the way down the pike and they're just embroiled in constant quarrel and conflict. Lord, I pray that you might open their eyes, that they might see that they're dabbling in worldliness. They're cheating on your son. And Father, as you expose them to the truth of themselves, I pray that it might bring them to repentance. Father, I thank you for the sufficient grace that you give. I pray that grace may be sufficient. I thank you, Father, that you don't condemn pleasures, but we need to make sure that our pleasures are in line with your will. We need to first to pursue the pleasure of your presence and the pleasure of your mercy. And so, Father, help us to that end. We pray in your Son's precious and holy name. Amen.